Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Borrowing from Nassim Nicholas Taleb's uh, best-selling book, The Black Swan, the pandemic is indeed a black swan event, something that has transformed, radically transformed, destabilized, undermined, perhaps even destroyed the old world in, in many ways in a totally unexpected way, although some people, of course, uh, would argue how expected or unexpected the pandemic is. Uh, black swans, uh, the, the metaphor of a black swan, of course, is one where you don't often see black swans, or I think they're very rare. Most swans are white. Perhaps there's another color of swans. Uh, John Elkington, a very distinguished business futurist, he calls himself ambassador from the future, uh, has cited another color of swans, green swans. He has a new book out, Green Swans, The Coming Boom in Regenerative Capitalism. Uh, John, before we get to your green swans, um, is the pandemic a black swan event? Andrew, um, uh, let me start by saying that um, Nassim Nicholas Taleb himself has asked that question. So who am I to doubt his conclusion? And his conclusion, very simply stated, is no, it's not, because people did see it coming. Uh, there were pandemic units set up in the White House uh, in my own country, the United Kingdom. Uh, they were either scaled back or shut down. Uh, so it's not uh, 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 it's not the fact that we didn't see it coming, uh, and many other people predicted this sort of thing as well, but we chose to ignore it. So he's saying it's not a black swan. And how does your notion of a green swan connect with the black swan? I'm quoting um, you. Uh, it's an interesting idea. You say green swans are extraordinary in a counterintuitive pairing. They often rise phoenix life out of the ashes of black swan events. So is your idea of a green swan something that might be cited with a black swan or after a black swan? Uh, not invariably, but um, it does seem that uh, quite a number of them do uh, follow on the heels or the wings of um, black swans. And the simple uh, concept of the green swan is, is if black swans are things that take us exponentially to places that we don't go, onto bad trajectories, if you like, uh, green swans are the reverse. They take us uh, places we do want to go, uh, good places, uh, and they do so uh, exponentially. But there is a singular difference, which is that black swans, very few people uh, decide to create a black swan uh, event. Um, these are things that happen accidentally. They creep up on us simply because we didn't know what we were doing. That, you know, what, what, what's begun to happen to us uh, was an um, unintended consequence of other things that we uh, were trying to do. Green swans, by contrast, are intentional. They need to be planned. They need to be worked towards. They need to be invested in. Uh, so there is that contrast. But otherwise, they're very strongly linked. 
Uh, your book came out last month in April 2020. So, of course, you wrote it before the pandemic. Mm. Um, how do you think you would have written the book differently? Were you writing it now? You write about the coming boom in regenerative capitalism. But as yeah. we speak in May 2020, uh, there's nothing regenerative about capitalism. It seems to be in tatters. Uh, today, I think it was announced that 25 million Americans have lost their job. Much of the infrastructure of traditional industrial or post-industrial capitalism is in tatters. Um, so how does your idea of a green swan connect with today's crisis of capitalism, the crisis created by the pandemic? Yeah, Andrew, that's that's in fact where the link between the black and green swans uh, comes in, because one of the things I argue in the book um, is that every so often, whether we like it or not, not our economies uh, crash. And the, the first diagram um, in the book uh, is titled something like the coming U-bend. Um, and the argument is that whether we understood it or not, and as you say, this was written uh, the last words were put together at the end of last year. I was basically saying that we're already going into a U-band of historic proportions, and there are many reasons for that. Actually, the um, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic um, uh, came on top of those uh, factors. Um, but I actually think that the, the trends that you're describing, which is that the old order is starting to fall apart, is exactly, sadly, what you need in order to put together a new order, which does some of the new things, which the order most certain, the old order most certainly did not uh, do. And one critical element of that is that the old forms of capitalism have increasingly wrecked uh, the global environment. And the climate emergency is on everyone's minds, but you think about the clogging of um, the world ocean with plastics, no one intended to do that. But anyone who looks at the evidence of what's happening there, I mean, there was a study just done a few weeks back or reported a few weeks back where they found something like 2 million pieces of plastic within a, something like a square meter at the bottom of the ocean. We have really screwed up the uh, oceans. And that's one of quite a number of other issues, including uh, species extinction with the wildlife tra trafficking uh, dynamic, which sort of underpins COVID-19. Being, you know, a, a not unsurprising part of all of that. Is the green swan essentially um, an environmental beast? Is that the essence of your idea? Is that um, that uh, that this coming boom in regenerative capitalism is a response to global warming and the current environmental catastrophe? Well, there's a, clearly an environmental. Uh, Based to almost anything that we address as a grand challenge uh, these days. But the simple answer is no. Uh, and examples uh, are given in the book of economic and social uh, green swans uh, as well. Um, uh, certainly there are examples of environmental ones uh, 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 as well. But the, the, the precursor of all of this is 25 years ago, a bit more now, I, I, I came up with the concept of the triple bottom line, which went sort of pretty much endemic in the business world. Um, so, for example, you had thousands, tens of thousands of companies reporting uh, in a triple bottom line way through the Global Reporting Initiative. You have thousands of companies now uh, chartered and certified as uh, B corporations, all of them with a triple bottom line sort of genetic code, if you like. Um, and 
in June of 2018, I launched what Harvard Business Review told me was the first ever product recall of a management concept through their pages. Um, I just said, look, this, this was a good idea. I'm proud of what's happened, but it's really not properly addressing the nature and scale uh, of the challenges that we now uh, confront. Well, no, we've, we haven't, you can't withdraw something entirely, and we've actually sort of rebooted it and released it or re-released it uh, since. But um, these green swans can be social. So, for example, uh, a, a very uh, interesting example of a, a social green swan, it won't be popular with some of your listeners, would be uh, mass vaccination. Uh, something that I think we're going to have to uh, think about uh, again with uh, COVID-19. It's quite interesting uh, to see some of the anti-vax uh, people uh, beginning to reconsider. Uh, but as I say, the, the, the green swans appear across the spectrum, but ideally and typically they integrate all three dimensions, economic, social and environmental. Uh, the subtext of your book is the coming boom in regenerative capitalism. Is another word for regenerative capitalism the Green New Deal, one that's being touted now in the United States? Well, we, uh, we've actually had a couple of shows uh, dedicated to the ideals of a Green New Deal in the United States. Well, and, and thank you for doing that. And, and the simple answer is those um, new deals are in the right spirit. And it's interesting because, again, if you look back to FDR and the, the sort of depression uh, years in the United States, the New Deal uh, at that point actually had economic and social uh, aspects, but it also had an environmental base because, you know, the Dust Bowl and so on, uh, problems were increasingly clear. And so um, soil regeneration and so on programs, at least for a while, uh, were part of all of that. I'm very impressed uh, by what's happening also uh, in Europe, where we have, just before I say what I'm about to say, I'm, I'm deeply skeptical about uh, European Union or European Commission announcements that have a very round figure uh, associated with them, because it often means that things have been scraped together from existing budgets and all the rest of it. But uh, the European Commission has announced its um, one trillion euro uh, green New Deal. Um, and that's a hell of a lot of money in anyone's accounting. Uh, and the idea here is that if there's going to be a European recovery, and uh, you know, I think we pretty much all hope that there will be, then issues like decarbonization, how, how do you make that um, new uh, economy much lighter on the environment, much, much um, uh, with a much smaller carbon footprint? I find I find that approach and that vision uh, quite in, quite inspiring, even though my own country is sort of spiraling out of the union at the moment. Uh, John, you're a, a big proponent of of corporate responsibility. Uh, we've we've also done a series of shows on that. Uh, in terms of this regenerative capitalism, is is this going to come more from corporations or government? Are you suggesting that perhaps uh, we can't go back to the the old New Deal. We can't go back to FDR. We can't go back to the big government schemes of the 20th century. And perhaps we can't rely on the bureaucracy of of, of Brussels to actually get this thing done. No, I don't. I don't re uh, rely on politicians, policymakers, regulators, or anything else to do anything very much. But uh, I don't think uh, that unless they get their act together 
business on its own will be able to step up uh, and and drive the sort of systemic changes that we now need. And it's very interesting. If you look at the um, Financial Times with their huge, great campaign around capitalism, time for a reset. If you look what Mark Benioff, CEO of Salesforce, has said about uh, capitalism being broken, you also hear Warren Buffett saying, yeah, capitalism may be broken, but it's only government that can actually wade in and create the preconditions within which the uh, new forms of capitalism can find their feet uh, and flourish. So I think business engagement is fundamentally important, but in terms of steering the direction of travel in in, in encouraging new forms of uh, valuation and actually including new forms of economics, I think government has a critical role to play there, which is where I think the New Deal's uh, come in, at least potentially. Earlier, you you spoke about something called soil regeneration. Mm. Uh, you talk about regenerative capitalism. Uh, what is it about this word regenerate, John, that intrigues you so much? Why do you use this word so much? Is it the core of your manifesto? Increasingly, it is. I'm not the first one to talk about that at all. In fact, when I, I, I was originally trained as a city planner back in the early 1970s, and then we focused on urban regeneration. So again, there, there's economic, there's social, uh, there's environmental, there's political uh, regeneration. There are different strengths and forms uh, of all of this. But I mentioned the triple bottom line, people, planet, profit, 25 years ago plus. The reason why we felt able to re-release that is that it really struck us that most of what's been done in this space by companies and by uh, uh, financial markets to date has been framed as a responsibility issue, exactly as you say. So companies have tried to be nicer, more open, more accountable, uh, to rattle their supply chains a bit to make sure that people don't do uh, uh, horrendous stuff uh, deep out there in the outsourced uh, jungle. But uh, responsibility only takes you so far. And what, we're sa- what, what the book says is that there are, in fact, just as there were three Ps, and I'm sorry for the sort of semi-consultancy speak, there are also three Rs. The first one's responsibility. That's where we focused our efforts. Now we've got uh, resilience. And, you know, you hear most people trying to run cities at the moment or national economies or complex supply chains, and the word you hear, every third word is resilience. Well, that's great, and that's where I think a lot of our effort's going to be going. And there are people like Roger Martin who've talked for ages about the way in which our absolute obsession with driving inefficiencies out of capitalism as we globalize has really, really um, damaged and undermined uh, the resilience of critical systems. But ultimately, you can't get to resilient systems and outcomes without it regenerating some of the systems on which we uh, critically depend. So the, it, it is core, it is central uh, to the change agenda that we're uh, advancing. And it's the, the, the message is, unless and until we can properly invest uh, in economic, social, and environmental uh, regeneration, we're not going to get the resilience that increasingly we're going to be concerned about and talking about. As I said earlier, you, I don't know if it was you or somebody else referred to you as the ambassador from the future. So, John, uh, let's go into the future, five or ten mm. years forward. Let's imagine your your regenerative capitalism has happened. Um, we're talking in perhaps 2030. Very specifically, leaving aside the three R's or the three D's or the three P's, give me three concrete ways in which the world will be different 
in 2030. If indeed the green swan appears and your regenerative capitalism becomes uh, actualized. Yeah, well, you gave me no warning of that, but I don't find it particularly hard to get calm up to three, but I mean, there, are, there are many others that I could name. So let me say that the first uh, element is money's going to have to change the way it thinks. Financial markets are going to have to st- extend their time horizons. They're going to have to think about uh, resilience and regeneration, not just um, efficiency and, and, and the profitability measures of the, the single bottom line. That's the first thing. So financial markets, whether they like it or not, are going to have to change. And some of the models are all already out there in sovereign wealth funds, the good ones, and so on. The second uh, element of this is that education is going to have to change. And one of the things I've got deeply frustrated with over the years, I've taught at endless business schools and universities uh, around the world. I'm a professor at three still. And yet, and yet, and yet, the business schools have really struggled to get their brains properly around uh, this change agenda, the systemic agenda, where they're doing stuff, it's still in that responsibility paradigm. And the third thing I would point to is an inevitable shift now in our te- technological pace. There are more n- new technologies coming through that in, than any p- period in our uh, collective uh, history. And, you know, most of them are driven by some form of digitization. There are autonomous vehicles, there's sort of smart grids, there's sort of um, internet of everything, there's synthetic biology, there are artificial intelligence, you name it, they're out there. But the thing is, every time we develop one of these huge, great surges in technology, the unintended consequences go off the scale. Now, this, so you get black swans, or you get gray swans, as some people call them, where you sh- you ca- could, did see them coming, but you really didn't imagine that they really uh, would. So I would say money has to change the way it thinks. I think education is absolutely the most fundamental um, uh, investment we make, and re-education, to take an uncomfortable word, I think will be uh, part of all of that. And then technology, by all means, let's surf this new wave of uh, technology. But let's be absolutely aware of the fact that these things can, can spiral out of control if if we don't pay very close attention. And that's another area where governments and policymakers actually, whether we like it or not, have to come into the frame. They've got to ride herd on all of this. Interesting, John. I, um, I'm wondering whether the, the first and third of your ideas are connected by cryptocurrency, rethinking the market um, and rethinking the, the, the nature of, of, of value. But let's end on your second uh, point about education. Uh, it's 20, 2020, it's not 2030, but to get to 2030, what should people be reading as we're all stuck at home now? <laughs> well, one of the books that um, really uh, got me started back in the early 60s was Thomas Kuhn's The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And it's a book it's quite difficult to read, uh, but it talks about paradigm shifts. And it's important and a crucial book because I think we are in a period where our prevailing paradigm is going to shift very, very fast. It's been happening for about 60 years to date. And he makes the point that paradigm shifts take about 60 to 80 years. So the next 10 to 15 years are going to see the way we think about ourselves in this world of ours uh, shift very, very profoundly. It's nauseating for many people who are invested in, were brought up in the old paradigm, which is you can do whatever you like on, on a small planet and it has no consequences. Unfortunately, uh, it does. I would also recommend Nassim Nicholas Taleb's book, The Black Swan, foundational uh, in, 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 in this space. 
And the final thing I would say is that the business media is changing very, very fast. And one of the uh, papers, uh, I'm not invested in it, but I, I, I've read it for 30 some years, is the Financial Times. Every day now you get six, seven, eight major stories in the sort of space that I'm sketching out uh, in the book. And that's not the only paper that's going in that uh, direction. So that's a, a form of daily education, and I recommend it quite highly. I couldn't agree, actually, on, on, on uh, more with the on the FT front. We've had Ed Luce, we've had Martin Wolf, and we'll have several mm. more FT uh, writers on. Uh, so, uh, so, John, uh, what happens if people look out their window now and they see a, a green swan? What should they do? <laughs> they should count themselves as very lucky, Andrew. I mean, uh, it's very hard to recognize. And one of the things I'm seeing now is people actually slapping green swan into their job titles as a nice young woman in the, in the Philippines who works for a, a company that I couldn't consider sustainable at any level, but describing herself as you know, a, a, a green swan executive. I think we should be very careful what we stick the uh, label of green swan on, that these are solutions to global problems, economic, social, and critically environmental, with the potential not just to change things incrementally, but to drive exponentially, at least for a while, uh, towards uh, systemic change, and I, you know, I was I was raised as an environmentalist not to think well about exponential change, but now we've got to do it. But we've got to do it in in a conscious way uh, to create a a, a a future which is fit, not just for the baby boomers, and I happen to be one of those, but for every generation, and actually every generation of pretty much every species on the planet. And that's a big job, but actually I think it's a very exciting one. I think it's a very challenging one, and I think it'll be one that taxes all of our generations to the limit. But by God, we'll be feeling alive as we do that. You've been listening to Keen On, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.